You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 10 a.m. on August 27, 2023, presented by Mr. Leighton Rowe. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him, with it, bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported, um, reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see to Jesus... They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much that we can come together today uh, as one body in Christ to worship you uh, and to hear what you have to say to us through your word. Uh, We recognize that we can't understand anything spiritually without your intervention. Uh, So Lord, we thank you uh, for your intervention in our lives and we just pray, Lord, that you'll speak to each and every one of us here through this passage, through the word that you have revealed to us uh, in the Bible. We pray that you'll speak to us and that you'll reveal more of who you are uh, and more of the glory of your person and also the glory of the cross. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what is so clear uh, about the passage that we're coming to today is that it is all centred around one theme, Jesus' authority over the spiritual world. Uh, and, and this topic of Jesus' authority over the spiritual world is a, is a really important topic for us to enter into today because uh, there's quite a few people uh, who have an incorrect view of the spiritual world. Uh, they see the spiritual world as almost like a battle zone uh, where Jesus and Satan are, are battling it out. Um, sometimes Jesus is winning uh, and then sometimes um, Satan lands a few punches and then he's winning. 
And that even though Jesus defeated Satan on the cross 2,000 years ago, um, these people think that um, there's still this battle, this strength battle going on between Jesus and Satan uh, until Judgment Day. But what these people who have this view are doing here uh, is that they're putting Jesus and Satan in almost like level pegging here. And that is why this passage that we're coming to today is such an important passage for us to look at uh, because what we see is that it completely wipes out this false view of the spiritual world. It shows us that Jesus and Satan are not even in the same ballpark. It shows us that Jesus has complete authority over the whole spiritual world, over Satan and his demons. So let's dive in. Uh, last time when I was here uh, in the night service, um, we looked at the event where Jesus calmed the storm. Uh, this event, if you can remember, occurred during their boat trip across the lake. Uh, and now what we see here in verse 1 of today's passage is that their boat that they were travelling in uh, has now arrived at their destination. Verses 1 to 2. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Okay, so they've finally arrived at the shore of their destination, the region of the Gerasenes, after a very long night travelling by boat. Uh, and then, immediately, uh, on the very shore of this lake, Jesus and his disciples are confronted with a demon-possessed man. Uh, Luke tells us in his account that this particular demon-possessed man, up until this point of time, uh, had already been demon-possessed for a very long time. And at this whole time of being in this condition, he literally wore no clothes. Uh, in addition to this, Matthew also tells us that this man was extremely violent. Uh, he was so violent uh, that Mark tells us here in verse 4 that, quote, he had often been chained hand and foot. This means that the, this man here was, was so violent. Uh, and was such a threat to the community that the people of the Gerasenes had to come over to the tombs and bind this man by chains, hand and foot. Uh, but what we see is that even that wasn't enough to stop him. Verse 4b, he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Chains and irons are, are used for prisoners because they are humanly impossible to break. Uh, but, but this man is, is possessed by a greater power, a power that even chains and irons are unable to contain. And finally, Mark tells us in verse 5 that this man lived in a tomb, uh, literally in a, an abandoned burial site where dead people used to be laid, and that he would spend his days, quote, crying out and cutting himself with stones. What a confronting image this is. So Jesus and his disciples have just climbed out of the boat and stepped onto the shore of this lake. They then look up and all of a sudden they are face to face with this violent, cut up, blood-stained, naked madman physically running towards them. And then Jesus all of a sudden raises his voice and says, verse 8, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then at the sound of Jesus' command, the man, verse 6, fell on his knees in front of Jesus. And then, verse 7, he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, 
son of the Most High God. In God's name, don't torture me. Now, the first thing that we need to highlight here is that this is not the man speaking here. Uh, How do we know this? Uh, Well, because when Jesus asks for this man's name in the very next verse, uh, the man's answer makes the conclusion very clear. Uh, His answer, verse 9. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Therefore, this is not the man speaking here. This is the representative of the demon speaking here on behalf of that, quote, legion of demons that possessed this man. Uh, Back in the first century, a a Roman legion uh, was a group of 6,000 soldiers. Uh, However, this probably doesn't mean that there were exactly 6,000 demons within this man. Uh, But to call a group uh, of demons a legion, uh, and to justify giving them this name, there, there would have had to be at least, at least hundreds, uh, if not thousands of demons possessing this one man. Quote, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Therefore, these demons are in such possession of this one person's body that they not only have complete control of all of this man's bodily movements, but they also clearly now have complete control over his vocal cords too. They are the ones who now speak through this man. What we're seeing here is that this man's personality has has almost been completely taken over uh, by the demon's personality. Again, the demon shouted, verse 7, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Now, the first thing we see here in this statement in verse 7 is that Satan and his demons actually know the truth about who Jesus is. Quote, Jesus, son of the most high God. One of the most accurate statements that you can find about the identity of Jesus in all the Gospels. This is because Satan and his demons know exactly who Jesus is. And they've actually known it from the very start when he first started his ministry. They know that Jesus, this Jesus, is God the Son. They know that he is the creator God in the flesh. The second thing we see here in this statement in verse 7 is that the demons thought thought that Jesus had arrived here purely, purely to torture them. Remember verse 7, in God's name, don't torture me. Matthew's account, on the other hand, actually adds an additional detail. Matthew's account says, quote, don't torture me before the appointed time. The appointed time here being judgment day. Therefore, what the demons are saying to Jesus here is, don't torture me, Jesus, before judgment day. Therefore, what this is teaching us about the spiritual world is that not only do Satan and his demons know exactly who Jesus is, but they also know that they are doomed to face Judgment Day one day. Right here in this passage, they know already about Judgment Day, the future Judgment Day. However, despite them knowing that, what do they mean by the word torture here? What torture are the demons wanting to avoid here before Judgment Day? Uh, well, Luke, uh, Luke's account tells us exactly uh, what this torture is. Let's have a look at that in Luke chapter 8, verse 31. And they, the demons, begged Jesus repeatedly 
not to order them to go into the abyss. Therefore, this torture that they're wanting to avoid here is the torture of the abyss. Uh, scripture tells us in places such as uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, uh, that the abyss is a holding place uh, where demons are locked up by Jesus to await the future judgment day. Uh, therefore, what this is telling us about this here is that on the one hand, there are demons right now, right now even today in the 21st century, demons who have already been locked up into the abyss by Jesus to await the future judgment day. Uh, demons who are now forbidden to do any more damage on this earth and to any of us uh, in our lives. And yet on the other hand, there are other demons who Jesus, for wise purposes, has allowed to continue roaming the earth. And it is these demons who are the ones who cause havoc today in this world um, and even in, in our lives today. But no matter how hard the demons try to avoid being thrown into the abyss by Jesus, it is clear by their reaction right here in this passage that they all know, they all know that they are under the complete authority of Jesus. They all know that it is Jesus who is in complete control as to which demons are thrown into the abyss and which demons are allowed to continue roaming the earth. Therefore, when Jesus commands these demons to come out of this man, the demons feared that Jesus had come to drive them into the abyss to await their future judgment. That is why that the demons are on their knees here in front of Jesus, begging him, begging him to not drive them into the abyss just yet. They know that judgment day is coming. They know that they have to face Jesus, their creator, and judge one day on judgment day to pay for their evil. They know that. But until that day comes, they want more than anything and to keep roaming the earth. And they don't want to be locked up into the abyss just yet. And therefore, in a, a last-minute attempt to avoid being driven into the abyss by Jesus, the demons, while remaining on their knees, now beg Jesus to consider an alternative. Verses 11 to 12. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. How does Jesus respond? Verse 13, he gave them permission. Permission. It's a, it's a word that is only ever used by us when we're in the presence of someone who has authority over us. That is why the demons are asking Jesus here for permission. Because again, they know that they are under the authority of Jesus. But isn't just the demons who are under the authority of Jesus. Satan also is under the authority uh, of Jesus. Uh, that is why we see on occasions uh, where we see Satan, like the demons here, also asking God for permission. Uh, for example, when uh, Satan approached um, God in the book of Job, we just read out before, uh, Satan asked God for Permission, permission to destroy everything in Job's life. And God's response to Job, uh, to Satan is this, in Job chapter 1, verse 12. Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. 
And what we see is that Satan goes out and destroys everything in Job's life, as we saw in that passage before. But because God commands Satan here not to lay a finger on Job's body, Satan doesn't have the authority to harm Job's body in any way. And what we see in that first instance is Job's body is not harmed in any way. But then what we see as we continue on the story is that Satan comes back to God and asks for more permission. Permission to actually harm Job's body this time. God's response to Satan this time uh, is this in Job chapter 2, verse 6. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. What we see again is that Satan goes out again uh, and this time inflicts Job with a bad skin disease. Uh, But again, because God commands Satan here to spare Job's life, again, Satan did not have the authority to kill Job with this bad skin disease. And what we see as we continue reading through the story of Job is that Job actually lived through this bad skin disease. What this is showing us is that without God's permission, Satan and his demons have no authority and no power to do anything. Without God's permission, Satan and his demons can do nothing. Uh, when, when we Christians look around um, today at all the chaos that Satan is doing all around the world, whether it's all the, the suffering he's causing uh, or whether it's all the damage he's doing to the name of Jesus with transgender or, or same-sex marriage uh, or, or whether it's even the attacks that he's inflicting on our own lives, we, we Christians can often take all of this and conclude that Satan has the authority and power to do anything he likes. Like I mentioned at the start, if we have this view of the spiritual world, then we are overestimating Satan's authority and power. That is why we're we're filled filled with fear and anxieties at times whenever we view uh, Satan's authority and power in this way. Uh, Because we think, with with this view, we think that uh, Satan Satan is free to do anything he likes to us and anything he likes in this world. If we Christians believe that, then that's that's a very scary thought. That's very scary. Therefore, the way to have a correct view of the authority and power of Satan is to take our attention off what Satan is doing in this world and in our lives. Instead, draw our attention to our God, who is in complete control of all of it. When we look at the image of our holy, loving, good God being in complete control of Satan and everything that he does, that image is enough destroy our fears and destroy our anxieties of what Satan might do to us in the future or what he might do in this world in the future. Without God's permission, again, Satan and his demons can do nothing. That is why the Bible can comfort us Christians with the promises that we Christians cannot lose our salvation because God will not give Satan permission to destroy our faith. And that is also why the, the Bible can promise us or can comfort us Christians with the promise in Romans 8.28 that all things will work together for our good. Because again, God will not give Satan permission to do anything to us that is not ultimately what is best or good for us. 
Another example is the promise that we're giving in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which tells us that we Christians will not be tempted beyond what we can bear. And the only reason God can give us that promise is because, again, God will not give Satan permission, any permission at all, to do anything to us or let or give Satan permission to tempt us beyond what we can handle in anything in our lives. And lastly, that is why the Bible can tell us in Isaiah 46.10 that God determines the end from the beginning. Because again, God will not give Satan permission to do anything that is outside of God's ultimate will throughout history. Again, without God's permission, Satan and his demons can do nothing. Verse 13 again, Jesus gave them permission. What we then see is that as soon as Jesus gives the demons permission to enter the pigs, verse 13b says, quote, the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Wow. Just to imagine for a second that you were one of the disciples here and you were viewing this encounter between Jesus uh, and the demons. And you were right there in front of them. Jesus standing on his feet in front of you and these demons are on their knees uh, in front of you too. And then as soon as you hear Jesus give uh, the demons permission to enter the pigs, you then see this man on his knees all of a sudden convulsing as the demons come out of him. And then you look over and glance over to the nearby hillside and you then watch 2,000 pigs sprint towards the cliff face. They run off the edge into the lake and are drowned. This is jaw-dropping stuff for these disciples here. No wonder their confidence and faith in Jesus skyrocketed throughout the Gospels and throughout the New Testament. Jaw-dropping stuff for them. But you notice something interesting about verse 13? It doesn't say that the pigs drowned. No, it says that they were drowned. They were drowned. They were drowned by the demons. The demons drowned them. We're seeing a, a very clear image of who Satan is here in this passage, aren't we? Very clear image. We saw before that detailed description of what these demons did to that poor man. Uh, they took him away from his family. They took him away from his home. They, they, they stripped him of his clothes. They forced him to live in a tomb to live. They, they isolated him. They tormented him day and night and made him cry out. Uh, and they even made him cut himself with stones. These demons ruined this man's life. And what is even more disturbing about all of this is that they did it voluntarily. It had to take Jesus coming and commanding them to actually leave this man, for them to actually leave him alone. And because they do not have the authority to possess another nearby human being, the demons therefore look up at the nearby hillside. They see a herd of 2,000 pigs and they say, they'll do. Let's destroy them too. 
this is who Satan is. Uh, John chapter 10 verse 10 tells us that Satan only comes to steal and kill and destroy. That is who Satan is. A destroyer, bent, bent on doing evil and inflicting harm all the time. And he roams around even today looking for any opportunity to do justice. Therefore, yes, we we Christians have got to be careful going to one end of the extreme and overestimating uh, Satan's authority and power because we've just learned uh, that Satan and his demons have no authority and no power outside of uh, God's permission. Uh, But that doesn't mean that we Christians just then go to the other end of the extreme and become naive uh, to Satan's work uh, in our lives. Uh, This is because at the end of the day, for, for wise purposes that we don't know about, God still gives Satan permission to still do a lot of evil today. Like the evil that we're seeing um, Satan do here to this man, uh, to the pigs, and even the evil we just saw him do to to Job in the book of Job. And therefore, if we Christians go to the other end of the extreme and become completely naive to the lies, the the, the attacks, the manipulations, the, the temptations that Satan throws at us in our lives, if we become naive to that, and we're going to be at a much greater risk of falling straight uh, into his web. Because we will not be prepared for these evil attacks like we should. Therefore, as Christians today, we need to have that, that accurate uh, and realistic view of who Satan is uh, and his potential. Let's continue on. Verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. Okay, so Mark tells us here that the people went out to see what happened. Uh, But Matthew actually tells us how many people. Matthew 8.34, quote, The whole town went out to see what happened. Literally, the, the whole town heard the news about what happened in this incident and they therefore rushed out to see for, the, for themselves uh, what has happened. And when this whole town finally arrive there and see with their very, eye, very own eyes what has happened, uh, how do they react? Verse 16, they were afraid. They were afraid of Jesus. Uh, what we see uh, throughout the scriptures is that, is that fear is actually the normal response when a person witnesses the glory of Jesus. This is because it's a frightening thing, being in the presence of a greater power. And what we saw last time in the the last night service is that the disciples also had a fear of Jesus too when Jesus rebuked the storm. However, what we saw last time with the disciples is is that their fear of Jesus was a godly fear. It was a fear of Jesus that humbled them and filled them with a sense of awe of his glory. It was a fear of Jesus that attracted them to Jesus. And that's the response that Jesus wants us Christians to have whenever we're in the presence of of his glory. A fear of Jesus that humbles us under him and attracts us to him. He doesn't want us to have a fear of him that, that makes us want to keep our distance. Not that type of fear. 
Uh, how many times do we read in Scripture uh, when a person is in the pres- a person is afraid in the presence of the glory of God? Do we read God immediately following up and comforting them with the words, "Don't be afraid"? What we see here with these people is that their fear of Jesus was not a godly fear. Their fear of Jesus was a fear that wanted them to keep their distance. Verse 17, and the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So sad. They've got their king and their saviour right in front of them and they want nothing to do with him. So sad. Let's now move on to the final part of the story, the encounter between Jesus and the man who is now free uh, from the demons. Verse 18, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. This man is now wanting to leave everything behind in his life to follow Jesus. Wow. After all that, this man became a Christian. Therefore, before Jesus came, this man was not only in physical bondage to Satan by being demon-possessed, but he was also in spiritual bondage to Satan too by being dead in his sins. So lost, so far gone, both physically and spiritually, and yet Jesus came to him. He didn't go to Jesus. Jesus came to him in his lowest moments and delivered him from both. What a a beautiful testimony this is. And even though all of us have probably never been in physical bondage to Satan by being demon-possessed, every single one of us, however, like this man, were once in spiritual bondage to Satan too by also being dead in our sins. And there was actually a time where escaping this or being freed from this was impossible. Yes, even though Jesus has always had complete authority over Satan and his demons, uh, Satan still actually had one weapon that he had himself. Satan's one weapon was that he could hold all of us in spiritual bondage to him. Not because he's stronger than God, we've already made that super clear, but because Satan brought accusations against us to God. Satan knew because God is just, because we are sinners, God could not free any of us from our spiritual bondage to him. What we see is that Satan's accusations against us were successful because there was no way God could be both just and free sinful humanity from their spiritual bondage to Satan. Satan had this one weapon of being able to hold all of us to spiritual bondage to him and he thought he'd won. He thought he had the one weapon that would bring the whole human race down with him into hell for eternity. Never in his wildest dreams do you think there was a possibility for God to be just and yet still free sinful humanity from this bondage. God saw the one possibility, the one possible way, and he had the authority to make it happen. That is why God gave Satan permission for for Satan to enter Judas and arrest Jesus. That is why God gave Satan permission to work through the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, um, and Pontius Pilate, and crucify Jesus. 
That is why God gave Satan permission for all of these events to happen in order to get his one and only son, Jesus, to the cross. All so that he could pour out his judgment on him for our sins instead of us. Holding us in this spiritual bondage to him was Satan's one weapon. And yet Colossians 2.15 tells us that Jesus, quote, triumphed over Satan by the cross. Jesus triumphed over Satan's one weapon by taking away our sins. That is why Jesus can successfully free this man from his spiritual bondage to Satan and not just his physical bondage. And that's why Jesus could successfully free all of us here today from our spiritual bondage to Satan only because he triumphed over Satan uh, at the cross. And without it, being freed from this spiritual bondage was impossible. Even today, we're seeing people everywhere being freed from their um, spiritual bondage to Satan too, all over the world. And what is amazing is that Jesus doesn't just do this work himself. Uh, Yes, he is the power behind it, uh, but he uses us, his people, who have already been freed to free others from their spiritual bondage too. What does Jesus say to this demon-possessed man when this man asks uh, or requests to go with Jesus? Verses 19 to 20. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now, the Decapolis is a, um, a very large area that consists of, of 10 cities. And what we see is that it's mainly a, a Gentile area, uh, not a Jewish area. Uh, therefore, the people of the Decapolis aren't as familiar with Jesus as the people in the Jewish areas are. Uh, therefore, Jesus needed the message about the kingdom, the message about Jesus to be proclaimed to them. However, instead of Jesus actually just going to the Decapolis himself and proclaiming this message himself and bringing his people there into a faith in him, what is amazing is that he he instead calls this ex-demon-possessed man to an evangelistic ministry in the Decapolis to proclaim this message for him. That is why he doesn't allow this man to come with him. Because Jesus' call for this man's life is to be an evangelist in the Decapolis. Isn't it amazing that that, that Jesus uses even weak sinners like us to do his kingdom work? It's incredible grace. Did this man's evangelistic ministry have an effect? Absolutely. Verse 20 again. And all the people were amazed. Many people, it seems, have come to a saving faith in Jesus through the evangelistic ministry of an ex-demon-possessed man. And to show how effective uh, this one man's ministry was in the Decapolis, it's also helpful to reference Mark chapter 7. Uh, because when we look at Mark chapter, Mark chapter 7, uh, it shows us that Jesus actually visits the Decapolis later on for the very first time himself. Uh, And when we look at Mark chapter 7, what does it show us about what happened when Jesus arrived there? 
It shows us that a huge crowd were there to welcome Jesus and that they all were in awe of him. What an, what an impact this one man's ministry, evangelistic ministry, had in the ten cities of the Decapolis. Jesus has such authority over the spiritual world that he can even use a weak, ex-demon-possessed maniac with probably little to no knowledge of Scripture to still, still grow his kingdom in what seems to be an incredible way uh, in this gospel account. Incredible. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we come before you now and we, we thank you again for your word that just speaks so uh, incredibly into our lives. We thank you that you've chosen your word to, to reveal all of these things to us. And we thank you so much that we all now, because of the cross, can be freed, freed from our spiritual bondage to Satan only because of the cross. And we praise you for it. And we thank you for what you've uh, spoken to each and every one of us here today through this passage. Um, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. More messages of hope at Essendon Presbyterian Church.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.